Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here is Herbert Schmutz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. <laughs> this is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. From the beginning of time, people have set out on journeys of discovery and adventure in search of everything, new lands, riches, food, but sometimes I imagine just for the sake of discovery, with no preconceived ideas or concepts of outcomes, perhaps with just the resolve that this journey will bring change and that change will mean good things to come. Most journeys have not only changed the lives of those whom experience them firsthand, but others as well. And sometimes it's through the, the discovery itself, you know, the new land or the new idea or the food. Other times it's through the connection, information, and the telling of the story. The cynical observer may describe a motorcycle journey as a narcissistic hoarding of time and resources for lofty, intangible ideas that benefit no one. Yet when we hear these journeys that others have taken and what they've experienced, it fuels our imagination. It jumpstarts our ideas and creative thought for our own lives. And for a moment, it provides a window through which we glimpse another way. Not all journeys are planned. Some come about through an event or an outside force. And Michelle Lampfair is one of those type of adventures. Michelle was born in South Dakota, Sturgis, South Dakota. And yes, that's the famous Sturgis that each year attracts hundreds of thousands of bikers to celebrate. Well, I don't even really know what they're celebrating. Maybe the motorcycle itself, but it's a huge party and a huge gathering. So Michelle grew up there seeing the event grow year after year and became part of it at different times. And because of that, the motorcycle was really part of her life. But riding for Michelle at that point was limited to just short runs on our Harley-Davidson. And the desire to meld the bike with adventure travel didn't come from Michelle until a stranger came to town. And when that stranger did come to town, Michelle's life took an unexpected sharp turn. My name is Michelle Lamphere. Um, I grew up actually on a ranch east of Sturgis, so I, I wasn't a typical motorcycle person, and I didn't I learned to ride a motorcycle in high school, um, but didn't really pick it up myself until many years later. 
but during the Sturgis rally, I would work, of course, that, that's big money for local people, especially high school and college kids. I remember handing out flyers um, for a local campground that my dad managed and, oh gosh, all kinds of things, selling t-shirts, you, you name it, and everybody that's a local person finds a job doing it. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I could tell stories. Let's just put it that way. Nothing uh, that I can put on public, I'm afraid. That you just have to come and experience it for yourself is what I tell everybody. But no, no doubt, uh, I grew up around some pretty interesting people and characters and a lot of uh, adventurous uh, motorcycle uh, experiences. This past August, so just a couple of months ago, was the 75th anniversary of the Sturgis Rally. And that uh, rally drew almost a million two uh, people in attendance. It's absolutely incredible. And when you consider that those people are coming in from all over the world, literally, to um, reside potentially for a few days or up to a week in Sturgis, which normally has a population of about 7,000 people, it's incredible. And it's really affected uh, the face of the town, what used to be a pretty sleepy little community, um, kind of in an old western South Dakota town, has turned into, for uh, benefit and also to its detriment at times, to a community that has a lot of uh, skeletons of buildings that remain year-round except for the two or three weeks. It's located in a beautiful part of the world. I'm very, very partial to the Black Hills of South Dakota, um, but it is definitely its own unique place. Um, I had worked in area for just over 20 years um, as a hotel executive and managing multiple properties. I loved my job, but also found that it was very stressful, um, meant a lot of long hours and very few days off, particularly in the summer season when it was nice to ride. I was, of course, very busy with my job and all of that. So the only time that I really rode was on weekends and only during the summer season. We have uh, pretty long and icy cold winters in South Dakota, and uh, we I would take that opportunity to park my bike and, and not move it most of the winter and then start it up again in the spring. There were the odd uh, months in winter that I might go out for, you know, a short ride, maybe a half day or something like that. But for the most part, I rode, you know, on weekends for an afternoon ride and, and didn't take long distance trips or what I would call an adventure at all on my Harley. So I uh, finally just sort of got to a crossroads and decided that I wanted to make a change and uh, look for something else in, in terms of a career path down the road. But that was really all triggered after I met an Englishman who was traveling by motorcycle through South Dakota um, on his own long distance adventures. Brian was a surfer, couch surfing. I was a host and he was a surfer. He dropped me a line and was looking for a place to stay. I was the first place that he'd ever couch surfed before. And here we are all these years later. And we get a lot of giggles from our friends as we share the story about it. 
Brian definitely was the epitome of adventure. He'd been camping for two or three days in the plains of North Dakota, and he was cold and hungry and tired. Um, and ironically, I, I took a friend with me to sort of inspect him because I wasn't sure about having um, a guy come and stay at my house. I'd had couch surfers stay that were usually young women. So a friend came and met me and, and she was sort of helping. And uh, Brian promised he didn't have the energy to uh, hurt me or be an ax murderer because he was so tired from his motorcycle travels. So, <laughs> and I think I got lucky so far so good. He definitely planted a seed in my mind. That was a little over four years ago. And I continued working for another two years while I you know, tried to reevaluate how I was doing with my job. I definitely wanted a change and, and I you know, had to kind of, kind of come to terms with that. It wasn't something that happened overnight. And I'm, I'm definitely um, a believer in needing to make change when you finally get to the point that you're ready. Um, and, and I just needed that time to kind of get myself mentally there. I also had to uh, sell my house, uh, put my things in storage and financially get myself ready to be able to go for a trip. And I planned on taking about a year for he and I to go and travel together. As my father says, you, you, don't, uh, you don't have two rear ends, you don't need two motorcycles. And as I was working on getting my uh, budget together and making preparations for the trip, I had to weigh out what I wanted to keep, what needed to go in storage. And everything that you store is, uh, takes an expense or a little bit of money to keep in storage in terms of renting a, a unit. But, so I sold the Harley and really committed to it full force. I, I bought my KLR knowing that I wanted to go with something a little more capable of doing some off-road and gravel roads. And uh, Brian had already ridden to Ushuaia and I really felt like that was a trip that I wanted to do. I wanted to head south. So having had his insight to what those road conditions were like and what I uh, needed to have or consider for a motorcycle made, made a lot of impact. Um, the KLR is a pretty simplistic bike to work on. And I always had, even from the outset, the mindset that I wanted to be able to do the trip on my own, uh, even though I intended to do it with Brian, if for some reason he had a change of plans or we had a change of heart and we didn't want to continue traveling together, I wanted it to be a bike that I felt comfortable that I could manage on my own. It's carbureted as opposed to being fuel injected. Um, it's, it's pretty simplistic. There's not a lot of electronics on it. Um, and I felt like it was something that I could manage, hopefully, on my own. Uh, the Kawasaki is, uh, the KLR, I should say, is a, um, a bike that it's pretty easy to get parts for in Central and South America. So considering the destination, that seemed to be a good fit. Um, so there were a number of factors that went into it. Uh, we were headed to Ushuaia. But Brian wanted to do the Trans-Labrador Highway first. So we were going to from South Dakota to South America via Newfoundland. On uh, about two weeks into the trip, as we left South Dakota, we went up to ride the Trans-Lab. And uh, again, just middle of the day, middle of nowhere for sure, because that's a very, very remote part of the world. I had a spill on my bike and broke my leg. 
we were riding down a long straight section of gravel road. The Trans Labrador is a very, very remote road. Um, but we were on a section that was about 400 or 250 miles uh, with no services, no homes, no small villages. There's no depots out there. There's nothing. And it was the last section of the Trans Labrador Highway to open. When we were out in this one long stretch of uh, kind of open section, there was a strong crosswind that day. And I was kind of swimming along in the gravel road with this gusty crosswind. So it was a kind of riding at a lean angle because of the wind, which doesn't necessarily equate well with the gravel. Just hit kind of a soft spot. The different, the depth and the um, density of the gravel, the size of the gravel, everything changed pretty quickly all over and frequently on that road. I just hit either a soft spot or I don't know, but started to kind of uh, swim around and, and really wasn't going all that fast, maybe uh, I had 60 or 70 kilometers per hour and dumped the bike over on its left side, trapping my left leg under the bike. It really uh, probably should have been much more spectacular than it was. It was just kind of a, a drop on the left side and it slid away from me. And, and I didn't slide all that far, probably you know, 10 or 15 feet. I, I guess I can't say for sure, but when the dust cleared, the bike was only maybe five to 10 feet ahead of me up the road in the middle of the road on its side. The only thing that was hurt on the bike was the left pannier was, was crushed and the left uh, crash bar was crushed in against the plastic of the bike. But otherwise the bike was fine. It, it had died, it wasn't still running, but otherwise it was perfect. I'm a definite believer in all the gear all the time. I'm an ATGAT girl and I, I had great big um, BMW Santiago boots on and in fact the paramedic tried like crazy to cut them off of me and she couldn't. Uh, so I, they were tough boots, they were fantastic and it was not a compound fracture, it was really as, as good as you ever ask for, for a shattered two bones in your left leg, it was as good as it gets. It, not a drop of anything anywhere, it was pretty pristine for what it was. And um, we were really kind of in a panic at the moment trying to figure out, I mean, obviously the, the immediate concern, how is my leg, what's gonna happen? It turned out that I needed to have surgery and I had to be flown out for that because there were no services available in that part of Labrador. So Brian um, put a, an ad out or a listing out on adbwriter.com and was focused just really on the short term, trying to get some immediate help for both of us right after the accident. And he put a listing out looking for some assistance, storage and potentially hauling of the bike. Um, and, and again, just wanted to know what we, what we could get for support to get us through just that week. And as it turned out, how that um, ad played out and the response that we got from it really affected our outlook and really affected the rest of the trip. When Brian put the listing out, he got an immediate response from a local guy who offered to uh, store my motorcycle until I was able to ride again. And he didn't put any kind of limit or time frame on that. We had another gentleman contact Brian who offered to haul my motorcycle from Happy Valley Goose Bay down to St. John, which is more than a thousand miles. And he agreed to do it as long as we would take him out for a beer. 
you, you have to love Canadians. I, I just cannot describe how incredible everybody was out there. It was fantastic. We had another gentleman reach out and say that he knew a woman whose daughter had just moved away to college and she might have a guest room available for us. And sure enough, when we reached out to her, she said we were welcome to come over and uh, stay as long as we needed. And we wound up living with her for three months before I was able to get back on the bike and continue the trip. So just an incredible um, outpouring of support and humanity. and a half weeks post-surgery and uh, I actually went um, for a test ride on the back of Brian's bike I wasn't really sure if my nerves were ready and I was so shaky and and um, you know distraught about the thought of getting back on the bike I was pretty gun shy so I wasn't sure that I needed to be running the controls and being in charge of it I thought my first ride as much as I was shaking I better be a passenger after that then I just kind of started work back with uh, baby steps again for about two weeks and then we hit the road again at 11 and a half weeks post-surgery. At that point we were in St. John's Newfoundland and we were really trying to catch the last ferry for the mainland of Eastern Canada because at that point it was uh, the very end of September and we knew that we needed to try and stay ahead of winter because we were so far north. So we headed down through the eastern U.S. And as it turned out, our timing was perfect for following the fall colors. Um, we rode along the Appalachian Mountains and then all the way to the southern U.S. trying to stay ahead of snowstorms and ice storms that were coming into the northern United States. I definitely still had points along the, really the rest of the trip. We're in um, any crosswind. I certainly uh, got a little nervous again, but otherwise I was feeling pretty good. I think I was slow moving at first, still my strength and stamina for riding longer days, um, but having a fantastic trip at that point. We had a fantastic trip to Ushuaia. We spent uh, almost three months riding just through Mexico, and it, it's funny in hindsight to look at how little time we planned on allowing for crossing Mexico and Central America. I think when I first bought motorcycle insurance for Mexico, I bought one month to cross the whole country in a month and hadn't even left Baja when that policy expired and still intended to go to the mainland and cross Mexico and keep moving south. So I just really had no concept of how long it was going to take us to get anywhere. Brian had actually done an entirely different trip when he had ridden from Ushuaia to Alaska. He did it as part of a group and they did um, Buenos Aires to Ushuaia in just under 10 weeks. So in 10 weeks, which is a really, really super fast-paced trip for those kind of distances, they didn't stop and sightsee or do any, you know, kind of off days or enjoyment of the local areas they went through. And he then didn't have any concept of what the timeline was going to be for us to make it to Ushuaia. The only thing that we were always keeping in the back of our minds was the season. You know, when were we intending on getting to Ushuaia and, and what that might look like. So 
Ushuaia is actually a ski town, villages in the mountains around um, that part of the world at the southern end of Tierra del Fuego. So um, it's cold and wintry, and as far as um, the distance from the equator, it's as, as far from the equator as many places uh, in northern reaches of populated areas of Canada. So it, it's down there. We stayed for about two and a half weeks. We had a friends that we'd met uh, on a crossing around the Darien Gap, uh, fellow motorcycle travelers, different people from all over the world, uh, from Switzerland, from England, uh, from France, the United States, um, South Africa. We, we kept running into friends all over South America as we traveled. And as we reached the finish line in Ushuaia, so to speak, the finish line, um, a number of those friends crossed the finish line around the same time. So we were able to uh, be there and celebrate with different friends that we'd met along the way over the last year in South America. We call it the proverbial finish line just because Ushuaia is the point, the furthest point south that you go. And then we turned and came back north. We rode um, another almost four months, so actually just over four months after north towards Buenos Aires and then went on to a few more countries. Um, after and then shipped our bikes to Vancouver from Buenos Aires. Um, from Vancouver, we headed east. We, we both love British Columbia, so we wanted to go play a little bit, and we did. Um, rode up through the mountains and went over the Kootenai Pass to see some friends, uh, Neville Stowe and his wife and friends um, in uh, Canmore, Alberta. And Neville actually started this past year, started a uh, nine-minute moto film festival. So we got to attend the first annual, we hope it's an annual anyway, first annual nine-minute moto film festival, and uh, got to enjoy their company for about a week again as we were making our way back to South Dakota. Um, we headed back then down through Montana. It was a little bit too early to get to do the Going to the Sun Road. Um, because it was early June and they didn't actually open the highway this year until the middle of June. So then we went down in southern Montana and crossed over uh, Beartooth Pass into Wyoming and then made our way back to South Dakota. Probably the, the greatest lesson or the greatest eye-opener for me was just how much people would support me. Um, from family and friends, of course, which I expected and counted on, but to uh, total strangers and strangers in other countries. Without fail, if, if Brian or I needed help at the time of my accident or any other time during our travels, people would always invariably pitch in help and want us to be safe and want us to have a good time and enjoy our travels. I was doing a presentation for Horizons Unlimited Meet in the cusp in August and put together what I thought were useful tips for people who might be traveling through Latin America so that they could have current and useful information on all number of topics from food, water and shelter to black market money exchange to uh, security and safety tips, uh, how to look for housing, etc. And I put all of that together in uh, what turned out to be a monumentally overwhelming presentation. It was brutal for anybody who sat there and had to listen to it because I was just blowing through all of these slides trying to hand out so much information. So after the 
uh, HU event, I decided maybe I should just finish putting all of the details together that I had thought of and put it together as a booklet instead, because then I could still get it out to people and have it be a useful tool, but then they didn't have to sit and listen to me rattle off all these tidbits. Um, this book is uh, Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America, and you can find it on Amazon.com in either a paper format or Kindle format. Michelle Lamphere is going to be right back in just a minute with some tips on traveling to South America, some tips right from her book. So stick around for more. Well, for those who celebrate Christmas, it is an exciting time of year, of course, because you can use that as an excuse to get yourself some motorcycle gear. And I'm going to point you to a fantastic resource for it. Uh, drop by aerostitch.com and, and have a look at their website. But I've got some good news for you. I've been telling you in the last couple episodes to order their catalog. So you certainly want to order their paper catalog. But right now, you can drop by online and download the catalog. So if you don't want to wait, or maybe you're not into the whole paper thing anymore, uh, a lot of people are getting away from that, and you just want to look at it on online. That's fine too. So you can drop by the website, aerostitch.com and download their catalog. Either way, you've got it and you can see this huge selection. I think the nice thing about it is either having the paper version or the uh, the downloaded versions that you don't have to be online to do it. You can put it on your iPad or something like that and look at it other places. Or if you have the paper version, of course, you can stick it in your back pocket. I want to tell you also about, I've mentioned it before, I, I, I got to mention it again because I think just think it's so amazing. The Aerostitch one-piece suit ride more guarantee, this ride more guarantee they've got, where you can buy the suit, you can ride it, and what they're saying is if, if you're not riding more than you did before you received it, send it back and get a re, full refund. I think that's amazing, like because it says many things here, right? It says that somebody's really confident in their product. They know that you're going to love it. And they're also willing to take a chance on you. You, the rider, they're saying to you, we have something that we know is going to work for you, and they're going to let you try it and let you buy it and try it, basically. And, and if you really find you're not riding more, return it. So clearly, they, they know the thing works. I think that's incredible. And, and as I've said before, I think that really speaks uh, to the, the quality of a company. But if you look at their jackets and pants, is one thing I've, I've been sort of going through there lately, looking at the, the different um, jackets and pants they've got. They've, they've got one called the Darien. You, you've got to drop by and check this out because I, I mentioned this one because it's really made for adventure riding and, you know, obviously suits most of us who listen to this show. Um, they've got a really beautiful jacket here called the Darien. Apparently they've been making it since 1992. And um, it says, get this, these are people who, who've used this jacket. Helge Peterson, Greg Fraser. Greg Fraser has been on the show. Chris Scott, Ted Simon. Ted Simon has been on this show. Now, these are people who are well-respected in the industry and known as adventure riders. Greg Fraser, I mean, he's out doing stuff all the time. I can't remember how many times he's been around the world. I think five times or something like that. So they say the Darien stands out because it's lightweight, it's tougher, better fitting. I mean, let's face it, Aerostitch knows their stuff. They've been doing jackets since the start, I think 33 years ago, and that's what they've been focusing on. That is their main thing, or has was their main thing, at least when they started out. Now they've got all kinds of products there, many things that they make themselves and they sell other people's products as well. But drop by their website, aerostitch.com, 
really cool. Lots of things to see in here. And especially, you know, the, that time of year, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, it is a good excuse to get out there and get something. But even that aside, the season's changing. It's getting colder. I don't know about you, but I can certainly feel it. I'm in British Columbia, back finally in British Columbia again um, for the winter. And um, it's going to get a little rainy and cold. It's already cold. We're getting down around the zero. So you've got to watch your riding. And it's certainly time to look at um, uh, fleece and wool and gloves and things like that. They've got a, uh, an amazing silk scarf that is uh, talked up all over the place. Uh, people seem to really love that. I have to try a silk scarf. That's one thing that's on my list of things to try. And I want to try one of Aerostitch's silk scarves because um, it's supposed to be really beautiful because it's thin and it's uh, nice against your skin. You can fit it underneath your jacket, tuck it around your coat. And this time of year, you need that stuff. So they get a whole section here on things for, um, well, I mean, that's really what they're about. They're about getting you out to ride more. So, so that's what they specialize in. So check it out, rain gear and gloves and footwear and the whole bit. Aerostitch.com and tell them that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, as you've already heard, Michelle has a book out on traveling South America, something you should definitely look at. We actually have a page on our website. We've got a, a bunch of fairly new pages on our website, um, some with videos. And we have one in particular that has some books from Amazon. And the neat thing about this is if you actually buy a book by clicking on that link, um, and it takes you over to Amazon. You buy your book at Amazon. But if you do that, we get a small kickback from um, Amazon. It's very, very small, but we certainly get a small kickback that helps keep the show going. We appreciate that. Her book is called Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America, Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Rode My Motorcycle to Mexico, Central, and South America. And now back to Michelle to get some tips from her travels and uh, certainly tips on traveling South America. And, and one really good tip about uh, doing the Labrador Road that I didn't know. Your book is about traveling in South America. It's about tips uh, for traveling in South America. If someone's considering heading to South America, what's the first thing that we should be considering? Um, oh, gosh, that, that's really hard to say. I, I think the, um, the instinct of so many people is to really overthink it and worry about doing so much research and getting a comfort level before they even set foot out the door or consider crossing a border. And I would encourage people just to learn as they go and research and get answers to the question as they travel. It can be otherwise, I think, too overwhelming. And, and I think it keeps some people from actually ever taking the trip. So it, really, I think the key is just to make sure that, uh, you know, you have some of the basics down. And even without uh, a strong uh, skill set in Spanish, know that you can get the information and the answers that you need as you travel and you'll be fine. I'm glad you said that because it, we've talked about that quite a bit on this show uh, about the, the thing of over-researching. It's so easy to over-research things now with uh, with Google and the internet and whatever other search engine you use. But I mean, it's so easy. There's so much information there that, I mean, yeah, you can read a lot on there and find yourself paralyzed with, with all the fear. Absolutely. And that, that's really, I think, what I would prefer that people not do, especially when you use as some of your research um, information blogs that are out there because so much of that is personal opinion. And uh, I, I think we need to be careful to uh, edit that and, and try and stick to the basics and just do enough research to keep yourself informed and educated and safe. And uh, the rest you can kind of figure out as you go. 
Yeah, and another thing to remember is that we don't write stories about, you know, simple little trips that, you know, went really well and everything was perfect. Quite often people tend to focus on the the gory things that happen, you know, the the, the <laughs> things that have went wrong. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's that's what makes our stories nowadays. I mean, we all love those stories. We want to hear about those things that went terribly wrong and how you got out of it. So that's certainly something that can send you down the wrong path if you're just looking at all those horror stories about traveling in South America. But before somebody goes, what what are some of the things that they're going to need to know right off the bat? Um, I think that what's most important is probably just making sure that you have the appropriate paperwork with you and that that paperwork is not going to expire sometime during your travels. So if you have a passport, you want to make sure you have enough blank pages for the countries that you're going to visit, especially in Latin America. And if you're going down as far as Ushuaia, there are a lot of border crossings that you repeat um, coming in and out of Argentina and Chile, for example, you could cross the border multiple times uh, on your way to Ushuaia. So making sure that you have uh, some of the key paperwork for getting your motorcycle and yourself across borders is, is really the most basic information and the most important. What about hotspots that you should avoid? I mean, you've been there just recently, so it's, it's very current. Um, are there areas that, that you would recommend that somebody bypass? Um, really, I, and I, I think that actually is, is of, of what people need to research on their own as they're preparing for a trip, because even though I was there within the last year, that can actually change in a matter of days or weeks. So I, I definitely recommend getting current local information as you're getting ready to cross a border or go into a particular hotbed or a hot area. Um, we, we rode through all of the countries in Central America. We rode through um, all but three of the countries in South America, including Venezuela. We heard a lot of people uh, expressing some reservations about traveling through Venezuela, but we didn't have any problems. So that is something that I think each traveler needs checking and getting the most current information just before they cross in. What about insurance for, you know, we talked already about um, your personal insurance and you took a, a sort of an extended policy, but what about insurance for the motorcycles? Right. An, a British citizen and I'm an American citizen so we had two different scenarios there um, we each bought policies for Mexico just before we crossed into Mexico and then bought the rest of the insurance along the way because you can't buy it too soon or the policies activated or not able to be activated before you actually cross into the countries that the insurance applies for um, so we bought a Mexico policy just before we crossed in. We wound up purchasing another because we were in Mexico much longer than we expected, a total of three months. And then purchased, um, I purchased through a, a, a private company, and I, I have uh, a couple of companies listed and some uh, just tips on researching and getting what's out there because that, again, is another area that changes very quickly, what companies are out there, what coverage they offer, um, but we were able to find insurance at most of the border countries. So some of the countries require you buy it in country. And we we bought all kinds of coverage in all kinds of places to make sure that we had what we needed. You had mentioned already that you put your uh, motorcycles on a, a boat to cross the Darien Gap. How did you find that information? Um, that we actually got from other travelers. And that's a really common resource to use um, as you're traveling through uh, the Green Rail, so to speak, through Mexico, Central, and South America. We picked up tips on places to go, sites to see, restaurants to dine in, uh, villages to visit, roads to avoid. Um, and we actually picked up some from, from some fellow travelers in Mexico 
um, very experienced round-the-world motorcyclists the idea of using the stall rat to cross the Darien Gap because they had done it a couple of times and highly recommended it, and we, we had a great experience. Michelle, were there some things that you found, maybe even in hindsight, that you were completely unprepared for? Oh, absolutely. I think there were probably a number of things. Uh, the one that stands out the most to me is just how bad the roads were. I knew that a lot of roads would be gravel and dirt and, and certainly expected to be off-road, and that was something that we chose to do consciously. But um, a lot of the mountain roads in the Andes are really heavily affected by seasonal rains and flooding. There are a lot of landslides, so a road in front of you can be blocked instantaneously. And so there were landslides where half of a single-lane road, it's only one lane wide to begin with, and uh, half of it washes away and trucks are still expected to cross through a very narrow ledge of a road and we're expected to as well. So road conditions, I think, were, were worse than I'd expected. Anything else? Oh, I don't know. Uh, all kinds of things. Um, but I, I think more positive than, than anything negative. I was surprised that we could find food and water, um, bottled water and fresh water and any of the smallest villages that we went into. Um, so we really didn't have to be concerned about packing too much on the motorcycles for multiple days at a time. We were able to stock up and, and purchase things almost every day when we traveled. If we were camping in a remote area, what we had on the bike, which was usually two to three days of food stores, was enough to carry us through. So uh, more than anything, I was impressed really how easy it was to find fuel, how easy it was to find supplies, food, water, everything we needed all the way through South and Central America. And that was bringing me to the next question. I was going to say, what were you really impressed with? But um, <laughs> So that, that was one. Were there other things that really shocked you? Uh, absolutely. I think I was most impressed with the people. Really, everywhere we went, we found that everyone was so friendly, so welcoming, uh, very hospitable, very happy to have tourists, even with language barriers, which of course were, were higher for us at first. And I got a little better by the end of the trip with my Spanish. Everybody just had a great time communicating with us and people were fantastic. As we already talked about, you, you rode a KLR 650. How do you feel about your, your, your bike choice for that particular trip now? In hindsight, um, it's even better than I probably ever could have expected it to have been. It was the perfect bike for what uh, what we did for the amount of off-road riding that we did. I was able to uh, really easily find parts for that as we traveled, find tires. And it was a really simple bike to work on in terms of being carbureted, etc. Um, so as we kind of went up and down through various altitudes in any given day, we could climb several thousand feet, descend several thousand feet, and do it all over again multiple times in one day. And um, I think a fuel-injected bike might be a little bit better in a scenario like that, where I thought that it would have, but it, it, was, it was a fantastic bike for me. Michelle, you had mentioned about the sat phones being uh, supplied for you on the Labrador Road. Can you tell us about that? The, the government of Labrador and Newfoundland provides complimentary satellite phones because it's so remote and there just really is very little chance of getting emergency services out there to respond very quickly because of the distance they have to cover. There are several locations, I think there were six or eight locations you could pick them up. We picked ours up at a hotel in Churchill Falls and then we dropped it off or Brian dropped it off out on the east coast, um, I think at 
I can't remember them. It's south of Red Bay. I can't remember the name of the town, but there was a list of hotel restaurants that you could pick them up at. They took an imprint of my credit card. And if I didn't turn it in within 14 days, they would charge me for it. But otherwise, it's it's free to use. That's really neat. No, I hadn't heard that before. And I haven't done the road myself. I'd like to yeah. before they pave it because they're paving it yeah. apparently. So it's it's, uh, it's disappearing. Little by little. But I think there's the section that we were on that's 240, or sorry, 400 kilometers. That's still all gravel. They haven't started any of that. And I don't think it's even budgeted at this point. They've just done most of the... Uh, road leading up to that. There's still plenty of gravel, don't worry. (laughs) Well, Michelle, thank you very much. Keep in touch. Will do. Thanks so much, Jim. This has been a a blast. I've been speaking with Michelle Lampfair, and you can find out more about Michelle and her adventures by visiting her website, www.sturgischick.com, just like it sounds. And or you can drop by our website, of course, www.adventureriderradio, and look at the show notes for this and every show we do to find links to who we talk to. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Of course, we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. And I want to say special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, who I always tell you, and she does, work tirelessly in the background to help get the show going and keep things running. I also want to say special thanks to our advertisers because it's the advertisers that keep things going as well. So make sure that when you're visiting their websites or talking to them on the phone, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And that's Max BMW, Best Rest Products, and Aerostitch. And of course, as you know, we only choose companies that we believe in. So you're not going to hear advertisers on here that we don't believe in. It's only companies that we believe in, and they help make the show what it is. So, like I said, make sure you let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Drop by our website. Make sure you click on the comment button. Fill out a comment. Let us know what you think of the show, what you think of other shows, any ideas you have for upcoming shows. And, of course, we're on all the social media that we can possibly stand. We're on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, we're at ADV Rider Radio. And, of course, on Facebook, you just search for Adventure Rider Radio. Don't forget, if you like what we're doing and you want to contribute... We really appreciate it. There's a donate button on the website. Click on the donate button. Send us a donation. Let us know you appreciate what we're doing. It helps keep the show going. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. This is Scooter Chan Scotty uh, coming to you from Adventure Rider Radio.